Let's turn to Mark chapter 4. You guys ready to study the word this morning? All right. Mark chapter 4. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for who you are, who you are in our lives. You're a savior. You're the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. You're living water, the bread of life. And as we read your words this morning, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would reveal the condition of our hearts, that your word could bear fruit, that we would have fertile soil. We thank you that you are very present in the storms of life. For those that are going through difficulty this morning, would you reveal yourself in a very fresh way? We invite you here. Would you pour out your spirit? And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The storyteller. Jesus is the master storyteller. He's the best at being able to communicate stories. In this chapter, he tells us that he didn't teach without a story. Why? Because he is God and he knows that we remember stories. There's so many things that we forget, but a good story will always stay with us. Case in point, tortoise and the hare. Everybody remembers the tortoise and the hare. Maybe another story that has moved you to kill a mockingbird. How about Lord of the Rings? Come on. The best part of that is we didn't have to read the book. We got to watch the movie. So it could be a a story where you read the book, where you watched a movie. I'll be transparent with you. I've got three daughters and one son. So in our home, we've watched Anna Green Gables countless times. And that is a great story. That, that'll, that'll move you. It, it stays, stays with you. I may have lost my man card, but that's okay. <laughs> the Adventures of Huck Finn. Classic, right? These wonderful stories. So this morning, we're going to look at several parables of Christ and look at the purpose of these stories. It may be said with the parable of the sower that it could potentially be one of the most important sections of Scripture if we could class them. You're saying, how could you even suggest that? Because it's going to reveal to us the condition of our heart. And if our heart is not right, that will affect the way we hear the Word of God. So this study could impact every time we open the Word of God, whether it's personally or in a setting like this. Verse 1, and again, he began to teach by the sea. Beautiful setting, the Sea of Galilee. Christ is teaching by the Sea of Galilee, and a great multitude was gathered to him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. They're pressing in on him. He gets onto the boat and teaches from the boat. Can you picture it? And his voice is now resounding off of the waters, and he shares this story with them. Then he taught them many things by parables, these short stories with spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. And he said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened, as he sowed, that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it didn't have much earth, And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. 
But the other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Jesus is going to explain this parable for us, so we'll look at it in more detail in just a moment. Verse 9, And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is one of Christ's favorite sayings. He says it repeatedly. He also declares it in Revelation 2 and 3, his letters to seven churches. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The key understanding here is you have a physical ear and you're hearing the Word of God. All of us this morning, we, we're listening, we're here, we, we're, we're physically hearing, but it doesn't mean that we're spiritually understanding. It doesn't mean that we're, we're really tuned in to the Lord. And we experience this a lot of times in everyday conversation with family and friends at work as people are talking to us, but we're not really listening. We're off somewhere else. A lot of times us as guys, we, we struggle with this. We're off in man zone. I have one thought at a time. I know that's crazy for you ladies to understand, but if I'm really locked in on that one thought, it's, it's hard for me to, to pay attention to what's going on, going on around me. Like It's probably not a, a great idea to have an in-depth conversation with someone while they're watching a Bronco game, right? Because they're not really listening. They're, they're listening to, to, to the game. And so we have to examine how's our spiritual hearing I'm hearing the word of God, but am I really hearing it? Am I really paying attention to it? Does, does God's word have my full attention? So as he gives this story, he now says, if you have ears, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. I love this. We see it throughout the gospels. The disciples will come to Jesus when they're alone with him and say, could you please explain that to us? We didn't get that parable. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Jesus just told them this story about a seed and four different soils. And then that was it. And Christ was done. He says, okay. So the disciples are saying, would you please give us more information? This gives us an example. Go to the Lord with your questions. There's an understanding of Christ that's going to happen when we're alone with him in prayer. And we'll come to a greater understanding. And he said to them, to you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside, all things come in parables. So speaking to the disciples, to you it's been given the mystery of God. But outside I'm speaking to those in parables so that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. This is quoting Isaiah 6 verse 9 and 10. The purpose of the parables, why did Jesus give these stories with spiritual truths? It is it tested the listener to see how much they wanted to know Christ. If you listen to these stories, it would be easy to say, well, what is he talking about? Forget this. I'm done. But if you really wanted to know Christ, you would search. You would try to unlock the puzzle and come with a deeper understanding of the Lord. There's something about Christ where he wants to be pursued. Have you come to understand that? He's saying, ask, seek, knock, hunger for me. So he gives these parables to test the hearer to see how hungry they are for the Lord. In verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? It seems to be that this parable of the sower 
is going to help unlock the rest of the parables. Because Jesus won't explain every parable to us. In verse 14, the sower sows the word. So the seed is the word. Jesus is interpreting this for us. And what a great picture of the word of God. If you've ever planted a garden, you get some of these seeds and they're so small in your hand. You're like, really? It's so tiny. I'm going to plant this in the ground. What what good is this going to do? And over time, as it's watered and God gives the increase, you get this crazy squash, this big plant, and nice squash, nice zucchini, a pumpkin. And God's word has so much potential for growth, doesn't it? It's a seed. The word of God's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It doesn't return void. As we look at this parable, there's no problem with the seed. There's no problem with the word of God. The word of God is, is good. In verse 15, And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So four conditions of the heart, if you're taking notes. And the first is a hard heart. This seed falls by the wayside. So if you think of a garden, there's ground that's been prepared, and then there's the wayside. It's ground that you haven't been prepared. Maybe it's the pathway. It's hard ground. And this is someone's heart that's hard where the word of God is shared with them. The word of God is read, but instead of penetrating, it bounces right off. What happens then? Satan comes and steals the word of God from their heart and life. Satan's ready. He knows the power of the word. He knows what will happen if the word of God gets sown into our lives. Satan's present at church. Satan's present at your quiet time. Satan's present as you're listening to that podcast and that sermon. And he's ready to rob and steal from the word of God. What did the parable describe as the one robbing the word, the birds of the air? So Jesus interprets the birds of the air as Satan. Satan is the one who is robbing the word of God. So let's do some heart examination this morning. Heart examination. Has my heart become hard to the word of God? And I think this is applicable for some of you that don't know Christ as your Savior, but it's also applicable for us who do know Christ. And maybe as you've been examining Christ, you've said, you know, that's not for me. And your heart has become hard. And the good news, the gospel's been bouncing off your heart. But maybe as the child of God, you've allowed your heart, I've allowed my heart to get hard, where more often than not, the word of God is not penetrating us. We start to look at our lives and examine our lives and we go, when was the last time I was really encouraged by the word? When was the last time I was convicted by the word? When was the last time I had a greater understanding of who Christ is, who God is, and knowledge of who he is? Well, man, it's been a long time. Maybe my heart has, has gotten hard. Maybe I don't open the word or come to times like this with an expectation that God is going to speak to me. How does our heart get hard? Well, we know sin makes our heart hard, doesn't it? If we're in a, in a place of sin, that's going to have an effect on our hearts and our lives. But also when people sin against us, when our hearts get trampled on just like a path, eventually our heart's going to get hard. One of the ways that Satan does great destruction in our lives is bitterness creeps in. We've been mistreated. We've been wronged. And we focus upon that. And we just feel our heart shriveling up inside of us and becoming hard. And the word of God has no impact. 
in Hosea, it tells us to do something with our hard hearts. It says, so for yourself righteousness, reap a mercy, break up your foul ground for it's time to seek the Lord. Isn't that good? So we can change our heart condition. If our heart is hard, we can break up that hard heart, break up that foul ground, cry out to the Lord, God, would you do a work in my heart? Would you soften my heart? Man, I love it when my heart's soft. It's so discouraging when my heart is hard. God, would you do a work in, in my heart? I'm breaking up that, that foul ground. The second condition of the heart, verse 16, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Note this, afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. This is the shallow heart. The soil, stony. These stones don't allow the roots to go deep. And without deep roots, the plant initially does well, but then gets burned up in the heat. I enjoy grass. I know it's kind of geeky or lame, but I just appreciate green grass. I think it's because I grew up in southern Oregon. If you've never been to the northwest, there is a level of green that we don't know here in Colorado. It's pretty easy to have green grass in, in Oregon. You've got to work at it here in Colorado. We have some pine trees in our yard that have these roots. And so it's difficult to get the grass to grow because it's shallow ground. And I'll plant seed, and it'll do okay initially, but then it burns up because what I really need to do is take those roots out. And the times that I've done that, the grass does much better. They receive God's word with gladness. There's an emotional response to the word of God, and it's not wrong. That's not the problem here. You know, I've heard some people get all upset in this section of scripture. It's like, well, well, all they did is have an emotional response to the word of God. God's created emotions. There's nothing wrong with, with emotions. There's nothing wrong with receiving God's word with gladness. Amen? Where they're short-sighted is not seeing the commitment that goes with the word of God. So, so I'm taking God's word into my life, and oh, this is so good but it's also going to come with persecution and difficulty. So someone receives Christ, but they don't anticipate that there's going to be tribulation that comes with a life with Christ. Maybe someone presented the gospel to them in a way like this. Like, once you receive Christ, you're never going to have any trouble with your bills. You're never going to have financial difficulty ever again in your life. He's going to heal all your sickness, all your diseases, and Every night, just because he wants to communicate his love to you, he's going to deliver cheesecake at your door. And then your morning is going to start with your favorite espresso drink for free. Now receive Christ. It's going to make your life better. Why do we receive Christ? Because we need him to pay the penalty for our sins. And without that, we go to hell. So that's a good deal right there. I get heaven. I get a relationship with Jesus but what did Jesus tell us? In this life, you will have tribulation. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We're talking about the nations next door, those in a Middle Eastern context, coming out of a Muslim family, being born again, receiving Christ as their Savior. They get, they understand that that moment that they profess Christ, it's going to come with persecution. It's going to come with tribulation. 
It affects us as believers sometimes too. I think we respond to the word of God. We go, oh, that's good. Lord, I accept it. But then when the hard times come because of that decision, we can easily say, oh, I'm letting go of that truth. Maybe God touches you in the area of your marriage and you start to look at biblical truth in regards to your marriage and you say, yeah, I want to be the godly spouse that the Lord asked me to be. And then all of a sudden there's persecution and tribulation and you're like, forget that. I'm going to go back to being selfish, right? That's, that's way too hard. I'm doing my part, but my spouse isn't, isn't doing their part. Or we read God's word, whatever your hand finds to do, do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord. God, I'm going to allow my work to be my worship. I'm going to do my very best and you get to work. And then all of a sudden, maybe you're persecuted for doing your best. Your coworkers come alongside of you and say, hey, why don't you just chill out? You're making me look bad. You know, you work really hard for a year and your boss doesn't notice. You don't, you don't get anything for it. And you say, you know what? I'm just going to go back to, to slacking off. That, that was much, much better. And so when we embrace the word, we have to realize I'm in it for the long haul. And there'll be those times of testing. There'll be those times where it seems like there's no fruit. But it's in those times that our roots are going deep into the word of God. Our roots are going deep into the love of God. And if you allow your roots to go deep into the word of God and deep into the love of God, then the fruit's going to come for God's glory. This is why Paul in Ephesians 3, he says, praying for the church, that they would be rooted and grounded in God's love. That their roots would go, go deep into the love of God. May the Lord give us strength to not have shallow hearts. And we go into verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word of God. Each person, each condition of the heart is hearing the word of God. It says they, they heard the word of God. Each time you hear Jesus emphasizing, they heard the, the word of God, but the seed fell among the thorns. Jesus defines the thorns. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. Entering in, to choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Third condition of the heart, crowded heart. Cares of this life choke out the word of God. This is a story that everybody that Jesus is talking to can understand because it was an agricultural community. They all had their hands in the dirt with farming, most likely, or at least observed it. So you picture something being planted, but there's sweets. Maybe sometimes you've planted a garden, and the weeds just take over and begin to choke out that plant that, that's there. So picture that in your life. Okay, God's word's been planted. It's growing. But now the cares of this life choke out the word of God. What, what are the cares of this life? Well, it's work. It's the bills. Wouldn't it be great if bills just went away? They don't go away. They keep coming. Unexpected bills. Unexpected financial needs. It's the laundry. Oh my goodness, the laundry never stops, does it? It's going to be great to wake up in God's presence and never have to do laundry again. Grocery shopping is here to stay. Costco is here to stay. You know, that's a secure business to, to, be, to be in. The kids' schoolwork, activities, all of the things that fill up daily life. How many days of our lives do we get to the end of the day and go, man, I really wanted to get into the word. I really wanted to know Christ more. I wanted to grow. But the cares of this life just totally took up all of my time in the word of God. 
It's another day where I didn't have any prayer. It's another day where I didn't have any time in the Word of God. It's not that the cares of this life are inherently evil or that we can neglect the responsibilities of this life. Agreed? It's that the cares of this life become more important to us than the Word of God. Jesus wants to flip our lives right side up, where we seek first the kingdom of God, where we put time in the Word and prayer first. If anything happens today, it's going to be prayer and time in the Word. Then I'm going to trust that God will make the rest of the day work. And I don't know about you, but when I line up my day with God's priorities, he makes up the difference, doesn't he? It's way better than when I leave him out of, out of the day. You probably struggle with it every week, going, man, do I want to come to church? Or I've got all these things that I need to do. I don't really have time to go to church, but you're here. And you've made that point to be here. We, we choose to not allow the cares of this world to choke out the, the word of God, but that's what will happen naturally. Then the deceitfulness of riches. So this means that riches have false advertisement. That riches say, if you have lots of money, then you're going to be satisfied. Isn't that something that the world tells us? Just, just long for more money, do everything you can to get more money, and then you're going to be satisfied. Or then you're going to be stable. You're going to have stability in your life. Maybe the deeper lie, then you're going to have identity. You're going to have importance because of how much money is in your bank or what kind of car you drive or how big, big your house is. Now, is there anything wrong with money? No, it's a tool. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of, of evil. So this isn't saying that it's wrong to have money. It's your attitude towards money. So say, I'm not going to buy the lie that money can satisfy me, that money can bring me stability. It's not going to replace my, my trust in the Lord. How many people never open up the word of God because of their financial pursuits? Now, I just don't have time. I, I got to work more. I got to work more. And I got to work, work some more. And Jesus tells us the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. The last is just the desire for other things. Again, it's not sinful. It's just the passion for other things. And the passion for other things becomes more important than the word of God. So as we examine our hearts this morning, it might be some time to do some weeding. What do you do when there's a lot of weeds? Get some kills all and go for it, right? Do some chemical warfare on those weeds. And it may be time this morning to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, to allow these weeds to be pulled out of our hearts and our lives so that we don't have a crowded heart. I want you to try it. I want you to try it. You don't have to take my word for it on the power of the seed, the power of the word of God. Take a 30-day challenge. Now between Halloween, a little more than 30 days, and say every day I'm going to be in the word of God and I'm going to be in prayer. And notice what happens to your heart and life. Say, you know, I'm going to make worship a priority. I'm going to be in worship. I'm going to be hearing the word of God. So I'm, I'm committed to that. God, you, you have my Sunday morning. You have my Saturday night. Whatever you choose to get, give to the Lord, see what God does in your heart and your life. God will be faithful to, to his, his word. The last condition of the heart is the fertile heart. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, 
and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. Hear the words. They, they really hear it. And then they accept it. I think most of us know what this is like. You're reading the word, you're listening to the word, and you go, that's for me. Yes, Lord. I accept it. I believe it. I'm going to endeavor to, to walk in it. And as we accept the word with openness and through faith, then God bears fruit. He gives the increase. Noticing that there's a varying difference of, of fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Now, that doesn't seem fair. Looks like God's not a socialist. Somebody should probably argue with him about that. And he allowed somebody to have 30-fold fruit and another 60-fold fruit and another whole 100-fold fruit, and they all did the same thing. They all had the right soil where they were open to the Word of God and they accepted it, but the fruit's up to God. And he is able to do what he wants. He gives the increase. And we need to be careful we're not looking at somebody else's fruit. And why do they get a hundredfold fruit? I've only got 30-fold fruit, but they, they've got a hundred. Because the whole purpose is for God's glory. It's, it's not a competition. Amen? So we're not responsible for the fruit. We're only responsible for the condition of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, because out of it flows the issues of life. Pay attention to your heart. Examine your heart. Jesus says, love the Lord with all of your heart. That's what it's all about. That's what, what he is desiring. He goes on to tell us a few more parables. Also, he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? Don't hide your light. For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed. Nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. Do you believe this? If this is true, then there's no secrets. <laughs> we don't get to hide anything. You're like, well, I'm pretty good at it. Sucker. You're not going to get away with it. We trust the words of Christ, don't we? It's going to be exposed. He loves you. He loves me. So bring it to the light before we get exposed. Everything's going to be brought to the light. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Pay attention to this. Then he said to him, take heed what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. For to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever hears, has to him more, will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is really, really, really encouraging and also really, really sobering. Jesus is saying, pay attention to how you hear, and the more you hear of me and the more spiritual understanding that you have, the more will be given to you. But if you're not hearing, the little bit of spiritual understanding that you do have will be taken away from you. So, so this is the spiritual discipline, is I'm going to be in the Word of God, and the more you're in the Word of God, the more it makes sense. Haven't you experienced that? the deeper you go into to the knowledge of God. But if we stop listening, then God is going to take that understanding away from us. Verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself. 
First the blade, then the head, after the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. What's the purpose of this parable, this short story? God gives the increase. It's so fun to watch a a plant grow from, from a seed. The farmer gets to experience this. He plants it, he waters it, tends it, but then God gives the increase. It's the mystery of the power of the word of God in our lives. In verse 30, then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? This is an illustration of the kingdom. Of which, what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, it is smaller than all of the seeds of the earth, a tremendously small seed. But when it's sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all of the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Tremendous growth of the kingdom. This small seed, this mustard seed to this large tree greater than the other herbs. Then the birds of the air come and lodge in the tree, in in the kingdom of God. So there's two main interpretations of this parable. Christ doesn't explain it to us. One is that the birds of the air are that are sinners that are finding refuge inside of the kingdom of God. And we are sinners that find refuge inside of the kingdom of God. The other is that the birds of the air represent Satan in the demonic realm because Christ already told us that. And he said, through the parable of the sower, you're going to understand the other parables. So the kingdom of God grows and corruption enters inside of the church. That Satan's looking for opportunity to take residence inside of the church of God. I think either interpretations are safe interpretations biblically. It doesn't allow you to come up with some weird doctrine. I lean towards the second interpretation. I think it it lines up with what Christ tells us in this parable, and it also lines up with church history. It's always what the church is battling is the attack of the enemy and how the enemy wants to attack from the inside. That's the greatest way that he brings destruction inside of the church is by lodging in its branches. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. This is great. Jesus didn't cram it down their throat. I think that gives us a lot of appreciation about Christ. He shares with us as we're we're able to hear. You're hungry, you're open, okay, I'll share it with you. You're not hungry, you're not open, I'll wait till you're hungry, I'll wait till you're open. So when we're sharing with others, when we get that clue, hey, they're done, don't force it. Don't have that argumentative spirit. Say, man, I'm just going to wait till an opportunity that you are willing and ready to, to be able to hear. Verse 34, but without a parable, he didn't speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Jesus loved so much telling stories that every teaching he had included a story, and then he would explain it in more detail to the disciples. We finish out the chapter with Jesus sending the disciples into a storm. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So Jesus, as the master teacher, as the great storyteller, knows that the disciples have to go from the lecture to the lab. He teaches through stories, but he also teaches through storms. We remember stories, but we also remember storms, don't we? He says, guys, we've got to cross over to the other side. Intentional about taking them right into the storm. 
Was Jesus surprised by the storm? No. This was very intentional by the Lord. And I'd like to tell you this morning that God is going to give you the hall pass on storms. That he's only going to teach you through stories. But I'd be lying to you. He loves you enough. He loves me enough to give us the gift of difficulty. To give us the gift of a storm. To teach us more about himself. They have the assurance that they are going to cross over to the other side. Let's cross over to the other side. Verse 36. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. He's already in the boat. So now they just launch out. And other little boats were also with him. As we go through the storms of life, we have to remember other people are in the storm as well. Because when I go through a difficulty, I tend to think I'm the only one suffering. But in reality, a lot of people are suffering and many people are going through much, much harder things. In verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and there were waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. We had a pretty good windstorm, I believe it was Friday night, didn't we? We can get some good wind here in Colorado Springs. The Sea of Galilee gets some good windstorms that come, come out of nowhere. They leave. It's peaceful. It's calm. But now here comes this tremendous windstorm. It's beating to cause the water to fill the boat. Jesus, verse 38, but was in the stern asleep on the pillow, and they awoke him and said to him. So as the storm is taking place, Jesus is asleep. This fascinates me because we have the reality of Christ's divinity. He knows that there's going to be a storm. But we also have the reality of his humanity. He's tired. He's been teaching all day. And as they left on calm waters, it was the perfect environment to be able to sleep. He's not worried about the storm, so he takes advantage of the sleep. He's sleeping so hard that the storm doesn't even wake him up, that the water coming into the boat doesn't wake him up. Do you know somebody that just has the gift of sleep? Like God, God just made them good sleepers. And you can be poking them or running around in the room and, and they, they, they don't wake up. Wouldn't that be a great gift to be able to have? Crickets wake me up at night, you know, it's like, Jesus, he's, he's zonked out. I mean, he, he's really resting here. The disciples come to him and say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They assume two things. Jesus doesn't care, and they're dying. And don't we do that in the storms of life? When Christ isn't taking the action that we want him to, we perceive his lack of action as you don't care about me. You haven't answered this prayer. You're, you're, not, you're not listening to me. And this is the end of me. And we project the worst. We've already come up with the, the worst scenario in our hearts and minds. I love the transparency of scriptures. This, this is real. This is what we do a lot of times in the midst of storms. Notice what Jesus does. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The storyteller has complete power over the wind and the waves. Peace be still. And in that moment, he calms the storm. It's interesting how we imagine stuff like this in the scripture. I think a lot of times because we see movies, some of you maybe have seen the old Moses movie with Charleston Heston, and it's always the big voice and the parting of the Red Sea. 
So we picture Christ standing on the boat saying, peace be still, you know. And the louder and the deeper that he says it, the more authority that it has. And he rebukes the wind, but it may have been, he's like wiping the sleep out of the eyes and he's like, peace be still. Bam, it was done. He didn't have to shout, you know. Him speaking louder didn't cause him to have more authority. And he brings absolute calm to the storm. And we learn something about storms here. And I want you to press into this for just a moment. That God's sovereign over the storm. The difficulties in our lives, he could cause the storm to cease right now today if he wants to. He really could. If he chooses to. And sometimes he does, doesn't he? But the flip side's also true. So if he's not calming the storm... He's allowing for us to continue in the difficulty because he's got stuff to teach us about himself. And though that's hard and though that's difficult, it gives us great confidence in the Lord that he is in control of the storm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful and how is it that you have no faith? So he addresses the issue with these guys that they had lost their faith. Not in the sense that they don't believe in the Lord, but this storm had caused fear to take over. And unbelief oftentimes does lead to to fear. In verse 41, And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? One fear is conquered by a greater fear. It's the fear of I'm perishing replaced with the fear of God, replaced with the awe of God, replaced with did you just see that? Here we thought we were dying and Jesus completely calmed the storm. He brought peace in the midst of this. We never thought that he would be able to do this. Now do you see why the storm was a gift to the disciples? A lot of people got to hear the stories and they were blessed. But these 12 guys got to experience Christ in a greater way because Christ invited them into the storm. And church, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Press in, buck up, go for it. You're getting your can kicked? Praise the Lord. God's got something for you. Jesus is in your boat. I know it feels like he's sleeping. But by the end of it, however it turns out, we don't have the promise of the outcome. If we're willing and our eyes are fixed upon Jesus, we're going to understand him in a greater way. We know that to be true because of past storms that we've gone through. I would never want to go through that again, but I'm so thankful that I did because I know Jesus in a greater way. And that was worth it. That was so incredibly worth it. So let's stand and let's pray and bring application to what we've read this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your parables that reveal the condition of our heart in such a practical and kind but very real way. Would you examine our hearts? Would you reveal to us the condition of our hearts? We want to respond. Where our hearts are hard, we want to break up the foul ground. Where our hearts are shallow, we want to go deeper in commitment. Where our hearts are crowded, we invite you to do some weeding. We want that fertile soil. And it would be humbling to spend a lifetime of hearing your word, reading your word, but not bearing fruit. So would you bring that 
necessary application. Pray for those that don't know you, that today would be a day where they would hear your love, hear what you've done for them upon the cross and your resurrection and respond. Father, I know that there's many this morning that are in that storm. Their lives, their boat are being rocked and Jesus, would you comfort them? Jesus, would you reveal yourself to them in the midst of the storm?